Chapter Five of Unknown to History by Charlotte Mary Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tanika, Madison, Alabama. The Huckstering Woman. The Huckstering Woman, Tibbets by name, was tended by Queen Mary's apothecary, and in due time was sent off well provided to the great fair of York, whence she returned with a basket of needles, pens, such as they were, bodkins, and the like articles wherewith to circulate about Hallamshire, but the gate-wards would not relax their rules so far as to admit her into the park. She was permitted, however, to bring her wares to the town of Sheffield, and to Bridgefield, but she might come no farther. Thither Antony Babington came down to lay out the crown which had been given to him on his birthday, and indeed have Master Sniggins's scholars discovered needs, and came down either to spend or to give advice to the happy owners of groats and testers. So far, so good, but the huckster woman soon made Bridgefield part of her regular rounds, and took little commissions which she executed for the household of Sheffield, who were, as the Cavendish sisters often said in their spleen, almost as much prisoners as the Queen of Scots. Antony Babington was always her special patron, and, being Humphrey's great companion and playfellow, he was allowed to come in and out of the gates unquestioned, to play with him, and with Cis, who no longer went to school, but was trained at home in needlework and housewifery. Matchmaking began at so early an age that when Mistress Susan had twice found her and Antony Babington with their heads together, over the lamentable ballad of the cold fish that had been a lady, and which sang its own history forty thousand fathom above water, she began to question whether the girl were the attraction. He was now an orphan, and his wardship in marriage had been granted to the earl, who, having deposed of his daughter and stepdaughters except Bessie Cavendish, might very fairly bestow on the daughter of his kinsman so good a match as the young squire of Dethick. "'Then should we have to consider of her parentage,' said Richard, when his wife had propounded her views. "'I never can bear in mind that the dear wench is none of ours,' said Susan. Thou didst say thou wouldst portion her as if she were our own little maid, and I have nine webs ready for her household linen. Must we speak of her as a stranger? It would scarce be just towards another family to let them deem her of true Talbot blood if she were to enter among them, said Richard, though I look on the little merry maid as if she were mine own child. But there is no need yet to begin upon any such coil, and, indeed, I should wager that my lady hath other views for young Babington. After all, parents often know very little of what passes in children's minds, and Cis never hinted to her mother that the bond of union between her and Antony was devotion to the captive queen. Cis had only had a glimpse or two of her, riding by when hunting or hawking, or when on festive occasions all who were privileged to enter the park were mustered together, among whom the Talbots ranked high as kindred both to the earl and countess, but those glimpses had been enough to fill the young heart with romance, such as the matter-of-fact elders never guessed at. Antony Babington, who was often actually in the gracious presence, and received occasional smiles and even greetings, was immeasurably devoted to the Queen, and maintained Cicely's admiration by his vivid descriptions of the kindness, the grace, the charms of the royal captive, in contrast with the innate vulgarity of their own countess. Willie Douglas, the real Roland Graham of the escape from Lochleven, had long ago been dismissed from Mary's train, with all the other servants who were deemed superfluous, but Antony had heard the details of the story from Jean Kennedy, Mrs. Kennett, as the English were pleased to call her, 
and Willie was the hero of his emulative imagination. "'What would I not do to be like him?' he fervently exclaimed, when he had narrated the story to Humphrey and Cis, as they lay on a nest in the fern one fine autumn day, resting after an expedition to gather blackberries for the mother's preserving. "'I would not be him for anything,' said Humphrey. "'Fie, Humphrey!' cried Cis. "'Would you not dare exile or anything else in a good cause?' "'For a good cause, aye,' said Humphrey, in his stolid way. "'And what can be a better cause than that of the fairest of captive queens?' exclaimed Antony hotly. "'I would not be a traitor,' returned Humphrey, as he lay on his back, looking up through the checker-work of the branches of the trees toward the sky. "'Who dares link the word traitor with my name?' said Babington, feeling for the imaginary handle of a sword. "'Not I, but you'll get it linked if you go on in this sort.' "'For shame, Humphrey!' again cried Cis passionately. "'Why, delivering imprisoned princesses was the work always of a true knight!' "'Yea, but they first defy the giant openly,' said Humphrey. "'What of that?' said Antony. "'They did not do it under trust,' said Humphrey. "'I am not under trust,' said Antony. "'Your father may be a sworn servant of the Earl, and the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, I mean, but I have taken no oaths, and nobody asked me if I would come here.' "'No,' said Humphrey, knitting his brows. "'But you see, we are all trusted to go in and out as we please.' on the understanding that we do not that can be unfaithful to the earl, and I suppose it was thus with this same Willie Douglas. "'She was his own true and lawful queen,' cried Cis. "'His first duty was to her.' Humphrey sat up and looked perplexed, but with sudden thought exclaimed, "'No Scots are we, thanks be to heaven, and what might be loyalty in him would be rank treason in us.' "'How know you that?' said Antony. I have heard those who say that our lawful queen is there, and he pointed toward the walls that rose in the distance above the woods. Humphrey rose wrathful. Then truly you are no better than a traitor and a Spanish and a papist. And fists were clenched on both sides, while Cis flew between, pulling down Humphrey's uplifted hand and crying, No, no, he did not say he thought it, only he had heard it. Let him say it again, growled Antony, his arm bared. "'No, don't, Humphrey,' as if she saw it between his clenched teeth. "'You know you only meant if Tony thought so, and he didn't. Now how can you two be so foolish and unkind to me, to bring me out for a holiday to eat blackberries and make heather crowns, and then go and spoil it all with folly about papists and Spaniards and grown-up people's nonsense that nobody cares about?' Cis had a rare power over both her comrades, and her piteous appeal actually disarmed them, since there was no one present to make them ashamed of their own placability. Grown-up people's follies were avoided by mutual consent through the rest of the walk, and the three children parted amicably when Antony had to return to Phyllis Page's duties at my lord's supper, and Humphrey and Cis carried home their big basket of blackberries. When they entered their own hall they found their mother engaged in conversation with a tall, stout, and weather-beaten man, whom she announced, "'See here, my children, here is a good friend of your father's, "'Master Goatley, who was his chief mate in all his voyages, "'and hath now come over all the way from Hull to see him. "'He will be here anon, sir, so soon as the guard is changed at the Queen's Lodge. "'Meantime, here are the elder children.' "'Dickon, who had been kept at home by some temporary damage to his foot, "'and little Edward were devouring the sailor with their eyes, 
and humphrey and cis were equally delighted with the introduction especially as master goatley was just returned from the western main and from a curious grass-woven basket which he carried slung to his side produced sundry curiosities in the way of beads shell-work feather-work and a hatchet of stone and even a curious armlet of soft dull gold with pearls set in it this he had with great difficulty obtained on purpose for mistress talbot who had once cured him of a bad festering hurt received on board ship the children clustered round in ecstasies of admiration and wonder as they heard of the dark brown natives the curious expedients by which barter was carried on also of cruel spaniards and of savage fishes with all the marvels of flying fish corals palm trees humming-birds all that is lesson work to our modern youth but was the most brilliant of living fairy tales at this elizabethan period humphrey and dickon were ready to rush off to voyage that instant and even little ned cried imitatively in his imperfect language that he would be a tailor then their father came home and joyfully welcomed and clasped hands with his faithful mate declaring that the sight did him good and they sat down to supper and talked of voyages till the boys eyes glowed and they beat upon their own knees with the enthusiasm that their strict manners bade them repress while their mother kept back her sighs as she saw them becoming infected with that sea fever so dreaded by parents nay she saw it in her husband himself she knew him to be grievously weary of a charge most monotonously dull and only varied by suspicions and petty detections and that he was hungering and thirsting for his good ship and to be facing winds and waves she could hear his longing in the very sound of the eyes and brief inquiries by which he encouraged goatley to proceed in the story of voyages and adventures and she could not wonder when goatley said your heart is still in it sir not one of us all but says it is a pity such a noble captain should be lost as a landsman with nothing to do but lock the door on a lady speak not of it my good goatley said richard hastily or you will set me to dreaming and make me mad then indeed it is so returned goatley wherefore then come you not sir where a crew is waiting for you of as good fellows as ever stepped on a deck and who one and all are longing after such a captain as you are sir wherefore hold back while still in your prime ask the mistress there said richard as he saw his susan's white face and trembling fingers though she kept her eyes on her work to prevent them from betraying their tears and their wistfulness oh sweet father burst forth humphrey do but go and take me i am quite old enough nay humphrey tis no matter of liking said his father not wishing to prolong his wife's suspense look you here boy my lord earl is captain of all of his name by right of birth and so long as he needs my services i have no right to take them from him dost see my boy humphrey reluctantly did see it was a great favour to thus be argued with and admitted of no reply mrs talbot's heart rejoiced but she was not sorry that it was time for her to carry off dickon and ned to their beds away from the fascinating narrative and she would give no respite though dickon pleaded hard in fact the danger might be the greatest to him since humphrey though born within the smell of the sea might be retained by the call of duty like his father to cis at least she thought the sailor's conversation could do no harm little foreboding the words that presently ensued and sir what befell the babe we found in our last voyage off the spurn it would methinks be about the age of this pretty mistress richard talbot endeavoured to telegraph a look both of assent and warning 
but though master goatley would have been sharp to detect the least token of a spanish galleon on the most distant horizon the signal fell utterly short ay sir what is it so bless me the very maiden and you have bred her up for your own sir father cried cis looking from one to the other with eyes and mouth open so cried the sailor what have i done i beg your pardon sir if i have overhauled what should have been left alone but continued the honest but tactless man who could have thought of the like of that and that the pretty maid never knew it ay ay dear heart never fear but that the captain will be good father to you all the same for richard talbot had held out his arm and as cis ran up to him he had seated her on his knee and held her close to him humphrey likewise started up with an impulse to contradict which was suddenly cut short by a strange flash of memory so all he did was to come up to his father and grasp one of the girl's hands as fast as he could she trembled and shivered but there was something in the presence of this strange man which choked back all inquiry and the silence the vehement grasp and the shuddering alarmed the captain lest she might suddenly go off into a fit upon his hands this is gear for mother said he and taking her up like a baby carried her off followed closely by humphrey he met susan coming down asking anxiously is she sick i hope not mother he said but honest goatley thinking no harm hath blurted out that which we had never meant her to know at least not yet a while and it hath wrought strangely with her then it is true father said humphrey in a rather awe-stricken voice while cis still buried her face on the captain's breast yes he said yea my children it is true that god sent us a daughter from the sea and the wreck when he had taken our own little maid to his rest but we have ever loved our cis as well and hope ever to do so while she is our good child take her mother and tell the children how it befell if i go not down the fellow will spread it all over the house and happily none were present save humphrey and the little maiden susan put the child down on her own bed and there with humphrey standing by told the history of the father carrying in the little shipwrecked babe they both listened with eyes devouring her but they were as yet too young to ask questions about evidences and susan did not volunteer these only when the girl asked then have i a known name she answered a godly minister master heatherthwaite gave thee the name of cicely when he christened thee i marvel who am i said cis gazing round her as if the world were all new to her it does not matter said humphrey you are just the same to us is she not mother she is our dear heaven-sent child said the mother tenderly but thou art not my true mother nor humphrey nor dickon my brethren she said stretching her hands out like one in the dark if i am not your brother sis i will be your husband and then you will have a real right to be called talbot that's better than if you were my sister for then you would go away i don't know where and now you will always be mine 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 very own and as he gave cis a hug and assurance of his intentions his father who was uneasy about the matter looked in again and as susan with tears in her eyes pointed to the children the good man said by my faith the boy has found the way to cut the knot or rather to tie it what say you dame if we do not get a portion for him we do not have to give one with her so it is as broad as it is long and she remains our dear child only listen children you are both old enough to keep a secret 
not one word of all this matter is to be breathed to any soul till i bid you not to dickon said humfrey decidedly nor to antony asked cis wistfully to antony no indeed what has he to do with it now to your beds children and forget all about this tale there humfrey broke out cis as soon as they were alone together huxtress tibbet is a wise woman whatever thou mayst say how said humfrey mindest thou not the day when i crossed her hand with the test her father gave me when mother whipped thee for listening to fortune-tellers and wasting thy substance ay i mind it well said humfrey and how thou didst stand simpering at her pack of lies ere mother made thee sing another tune nay humfrey they were no lies though i thought them so then she said i was not what i seemed and that the talbot's kennel would not always hold one of the noble northern eagles so humfrey sweet humfrey thou must not make too sure of wedding me i'll wed thee though all the lying old gipsy wives in england wore their false throats out and screeching that i shall not cried humfrey but she must have known said cis in an awe-struck voice the spirits must have spoken with her and said that i am none of the talbots hath mother heard this asked humfrey recoiling a little but never thinking of the more plausible explanation oh no no tell her not humfrey tell her not she said she would whip me again if i ever talked of it of the follies that the fortune-telling woman hath gulled me with for if they were not deceits they were worse and thou seest they are worse humfrey with which awe-stricken conclusion the children went off to bed end of the huckstering woman recording by tanika madison alabama